Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. The reading today is taken from John chapter 1 verses 1 to 9. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning and uh, welcome here into the building. If you're with us in person, welcome onto the live stream if you're joining us that way. I wonder whether you've ever seen a picture of the Sagrada Familia. If you don't know about it, it's a cathedral in uh, northern Spain, in Barcelona. It is a completely unique building. It's, it's a sort of combination of something that frankly looks like a spaceship or something off the, the middle of the set of Avatar or something like that, a futuristic fantasy film. And it's all the more surprising when you see it that you realize that the, the design by the famous Spanish architect Antoni Gaudí is well over a hundred years old. Gaudí first got his hands on the project in 1883, and when he died 43 years after that, he had seen only one of the enormous 18 eventual towers finished. And it took 50 years even after that to finish the next eight towers of the 18, and to complete only one of the first three facades. But by that stage, the Sagrada Familia was already unmatched as a piece of architecture. And they'd opened a museum, people were coming flooding in, and for decades and decades, the 25 million euros or so that these people have brought in has been inching this extraordinary architectural project along. In that time, it has become a UNESCO heritage site, still unfinished. It's been consecrated as a cathedral by the Pope, Still unfinished. It still isn't finished. In fact, it's supposed to be finished in 2026, which will be an absolute miracle if it does. But when it does, by the time that last tower goes up, the tallest tower in any church in the world, it will have taken longer to build than the pyramids in Egypt. Now, why am I telling you about this? I'm sorry if it frustrates your touristic hopes that you can't now get on a plane on, on the good old uh, easy jet and get over to Sagrada Familia. It's worth it. But that's not my point. My point is this. What happens when 
you take that long to build something. Well, for a long time, what happens is that people just take the building as it is at the time. The unfinished version of the building is treated, to all intents and purposes, as the finished article. The unfinished version is treated, to all intents and purposes, as the finished article. And I wonder if it's a bit like that with us and God's creation. Let me explain. I think often in our mind we, we think of how this world came into being. We think of some moment back in ancient history where God made it all. He brought something out of nothing and he set it up and he let it run. And if you've got kids, perhaps one of the first things you've taught them is, is kind of something like that. You've said, God made the world. And you described an event in the past, as you put it. Now, by the way, it's quite right. It's a fantastic place to start with your kids. Uh, and the Bible also very often speaks about creation as this thing that happened far in the past. But what if that creation isn't yet finished? What if God is still in the business of creation? And I mean not just adding the finishing touches, but like he's only built one of his 18 towers. What if even though the world that we have today is so uniquely and utterly amazing, the final designs for it are actually way beyond what we can see right now? What if he's still hoping to fashion in the long long term a totally other dimension that we can scarcely imagine? Well, that is what the beginning of John's Gospel begins to suggest, as we'll see this morning. If you've been with us uh, last week, you'll know we're spending these weeks running up to Christmas, looking at the opening chapter of John's Gospel. It's a mind-bending experience, um, not for John, the mother and the manger and all those kind of homely images. He started off by saying, Jesus is the creator. And today we're going to hear further how this same Jesus, the one that we are currently most accustomed to seeing as a tiny babe in a feeding trough, this Jesus is still going on with his creative work and he's still got loads of creating to do. In fact, John uses the, the first creation, creation out of nothing, just as a sort of starting point for this ongoing, eternity-reaching creative work that he says Jesus is doing beyond it. And I'm praying that as we see this, as we see the purpose of God to keep on shaping and creating in our lives, that we would gain this morning a new sense of excitement, a new sense of yearning for that work to go on and one day be completed in us. I want to put uh, what I'm going to say this morning under two headings. Number one, Jesus is a life light. Jesus is a life light. And number two, Jesus alone is the true life light. First then, Jesus is a life light. And I'm aware that this is not a real word. So you're going to have to just uh, um, bear with me for a moment. Hopefully it will make sense. Jesus is a life light. If you're at home, please do grab a Bible if you haven't got it uh, and open it in John chapter 1 where we'll be looking at verses 4 to 9, the second half of what Onyeka so uh, beautifully read to us earlier. John begins, you may recall, uh, just like the creation story. John chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning, the word has existed before creation. But before long, he starts to, as it were, riff off the creation story, but to make a different point. 
Verse 4. In him, that's in Jesus, in this word, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Now, what does this mean? Well, in the beginning, in Genesis, God created all sorts of life. Vegetation, fish, birds, land animals, so forth. And likewise, back in Genesis, there's light. Comes from the sun. If you're familiar with the beginning of the Bible, it's one of the first things that God does. He switches on the lights. And so he banishes physical darkness. But when John starts to use those words, he doesn't mean it like in Genesis. And we know that for a start because he weaves the two things together. He says, the life was the light of men. Those are lovely words, aren't they? But what on earth does that actually mean? Those exact words in that order, taken literally, they are nonsense in the physical world. Life and light, they just aren't the same thing. They're two things that are connected to each other, except possibly if you're a firefly or a glowworm. They're kind of the same thing. So Jesus is actually talking about something else. He's talking about a different kind of life and a different kind of light that he's going to bring. Now, what exactly is it he's talking about? And this bit of the Bible, I think, is very challenging. I think we love it initially. We're like, oh, this is the poetry. It's just fantastic. But we get so intoxicated by the words, this great symphony, this poetry, we, we sometimes don't realize we actually have no idea what he's saying. So let's take those words carefully, one at a time, and we're going to sprinkle in a bit of Old Testament background for context and hopefully wrestle them down. Number one, light. Light. What's that about? Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 7 says this, light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. And as those who are living in dark times, we, we all agree with that. Light in its basic form has got to do with goodness. It's a sort of morally good thing. That's, that, that's, that, that's what it evokes in us. Well, we use it that way, don't we? The sun can be shining outside, but we could still say, oh, life, is, life feels dark. Perhaps we feel confronted by some kind of evil around us. We're in some kind of abusive relationship or an addiction or some prolonged physical suffering or some deep sadness. We feel the darkness of despair or of rejection or the darkness of our own hearts. It feels dark. But Jesus, the light, is good what John is saying. In fact, his goodness is so strong that it can resist and overpower all evil. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Perhaps you're in a very dark place right now. Let me say this to you. Jesus made you as, he, as you are, but his work is not yet done. He's still shaping you and your circumstances towards his end goal of conquering all darkness, all evil. Now, we don't know when that's going to happen. We don't know how it's going to happen. But one day, we trust his goodness alone will be the only thing left. And the confidence, I think, that we have to, to imagine that to be the case comes, above all, from the cross Jesus' cross is just an amazing demonstration of that. On the cross, Jesus suffered the full consequences of evil and sin, the kind of stuff that would floor any of us, that would finish any of us off. But he didn't finish him off. His goodness, his power pulled him through the other side to rise again, and he overcame the darkness of our sin. So we say Jesus is light, 
because we mean he's good. That's the first thing, light, goodness. The second thing, light is to do with understanding. Psalm 119, it's a famous song that goes like this, says, your word is a lamp to my feet. Your word's a lamp to my feet. Don't know whether you've ever been in a complete pitch dark. It's an extraordinary experience. When I was 14, I I went caving. I think health and safety at that time were not quite on the level of, of today. I remember feeling quite nervous about just going down there. And one of the things that, that we did, part of the experience, is we would go down right to the bottom somewhere near the Earth's core. And uh, we'd be encouraged all to turn off our lights. It was my first experience of utter darkness. You open your eyes and you close them, and there's just absolutely nothing, there's no, there's no difference. If it weren't for your memory, you would actually have no concept of where you are, where you should go. And so it can be in the midst of the bright light of day. I wonder if you're struggling with purpose or meaning or direction. Are you struggling to see through a particular problem? Well, as John's gospel goes on, Jesus keeps coming back to this idea. You know, it's possible for for your eyes to be working fine and yet to be spiritually blind, to have no spiritual understanding, to not get how you're supposed to live, to know all manner of things about how to make a living and yet have no idea what life really is for. And for that, we have Jesus Christ. Verse nine, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus knows the world he made. He knows it like we don't. And he can make it clear to us how we should live. So light is also to do with understanding. Goodness and understanding. That's light. Now what about this life? What does John, our writer, mean that in Jesus was life? Well, I think it's at least three things. Number one, first I think we've, we've, we've already kind of seen already, is to do with right living. Do you remember Jesus later on in the gospel? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So basically, the right way to live is the kind of life that Jesus lived. So it's right living. Number two, it's eternal life. God's purpose for each one of us is not just that we live out the days of our earthly life and that's it. He wants us to enjoy the life of the age to come. It starts now, but it carries on into eternity, through death. Do you remember how Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life? And then he proved that he really was by coming back from the dead. Right living, eternal life. And then it's full life or fulfillment of our lives. And allow me just to take a moment longer on this one. Wonder whether at any moment in your life you've been locked into really desperate circumstances. You know, perhaps you're in a poisonous relationship or you're a totally unmanageable job. And you've said to yourself, as we sometimes do, this is no life. Or or this isn't living, you know, this is just surviving. We say those things, I think, because deep down we know that life is more than just having a beating heart. And Jesus' teachings point to a way of life that really is worthy of the term. He said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, have it to the full. Jesus offers us a life in terms of fulfillment. Now, I think a lot of us kind of know that verse, quite a famous verse, and we're like, oh, yeah, Jesus wants love to fall. But also, deep down, I think we often basically don't believe that. 
I don't know about you, but I, I think often somewhere deep down, I suspect God of being a bit of a killjoy. You know, perhaps I, I think of him like a speed camera. Okay? He's going to keep me safe if I you know, follow the instructions, but it's hardly going to be life-enhancing. But actually, it's the other way around. The very best life, the ultimate fulfillment is to be found in Christ. Now, we need to be really careful with that and not read that backwards. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, it doesn't mean that Jesus wants for me exactly what I want for me. You know, whether that's my house dreams or my car dreams or my relationship dreams. It's the other way around. It's this way around. What Jesus wants for me, including me denying myself and obeying him, that actually is the most meaningful, most fulfilling life there is. And I know I, I need reminding of that regularly. But we, we do need to be reminded of that. Because that's the thing that's going to motivate us to go his way even when it's difficult. John chapter 1 verse, eight, uh, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. In that sense, in all of those senses, Jesus is light and life. Or you might say, Jesus is life, light. Now secondly, and much more briefly, I want to say Jesus alone is the true life, light. The next few verses that I've just read are all about how it's only Jesus who is worthy of the title. Listen to that again. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. It always sounds a bit sort of laboured, this particular bit. You know, he's made a really good start. And it's like, oh, you're getting a bit technical here, John. Just, just can you say it a bit more concisely? But here the edge, I think, of the passage is coming out. John, the author, wants to insist, look, Jesus is the real thing, not anyone else, not John the Baptist. Why? Because we so easily end up replacing our true light Jesus with people. You know, it, it may be that we, we start to invest all our hopes in our spiritual heroes, in, in ministers or, or popes or authors or, or famous historical figures or perhaps our own spiritual mentors, people on whose faith we've, we've kind of relied over the years. They, like John the Baptist, may be really good people. And, and let's by all means be grateful to the Lord for them and let's let them point us as witnesses to Christ. That's fantastic. But may they never become in our minds the light. Let us not have some human guru in which we invest all our spiritual hopes. Now I wonder, is there anyone in your life, is there anyone in mine, that we are hoping for too much from spiritually? Because Jesus Christ alone is the true life light. And I say that because it matters. Because human beings will disappoint us and they will break us, even if they mean well, if we invest too much hope in them. And of course, it's not just people we invest our hopes for life and light in. There are all sorts of other things. A few years ago, I had the privilege of sharing the gospel with a man who um, had, by generally accepted standards, a very successful life. He worked in financial services. He lived in some enviable real estate, southwest London. He had a loving family. 
Many people would have looked on him on the outside and they said, that's the life. But when we first meet, he, he just cast all that aside. He just resigned from his job. He found that it couldn't deliver and he, he was lost. He was earnestly searching. What was he looking for? It was all these things. Goodness, true understanding, fulfillment, moral direction, purpose, eternity. He still hadn't found any of those. He needed life and light. And I, often we would meet up and I, I was so faithless. I used to come to these things thinking, oh, what's he going to find in the Lord Jesus? He's got everything. And yet in Christ, and he taught me something here, he found what he had never found before. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Now, I don't know where you're inclined to look for your life light. Now, what is it for you that when you think, oh, if once I've got that thing, then, you know, then life will really be okay. Perhaps for you too, it's a particular career outcome. You're like, I get there, I'm really, I would have nailed it. Or it's a perfect home. Just when we've done that extension, then we'll be there. It could be a certain sum in the bank. It could be recognition in your, uh, in your life. It could be something to do with your health. You know, so many things. But those things cannot make our lives. Now, don't hear me wrong. These things are often great blessings, and it's not necessarily a sin to pursue any of them. But none of them can deliver the eternal life light that Christ can I mean, for a start, they might fail us, right? We might not make it up the career ladder. And anyway, one day we're going to have to retire, so they'll be gone. And material possessions, well, they have a habit of decaying and breaking. And money can be a harsh master. And the best partner in the world cannot meet all our needs, and so on and so forth. You know, none of those things will ultimately bear up under the burden of our deepest eternal human expectations. But there is one who will. I don't know what your needs are this morning. I don't know what your felt experience is. You are longing for something. And the Lord Jesus is the one answer to that longing that will never let you down. There is one life, there is one light that if you have it, whatever else you are going through, you have all you need. Brothers and sisters, I, I long, I pray that you would believe that. I pray that I would believe it. And this Christmas, let us all get on our knees with the Lord, that we would know more deeply that in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have everything. We have the true light that gives light to everyone. Let us pray. Heavenly Lord, we, we are strange people. We look all over the world for things that shine and glitter. And we are so easily captivated by things that aren't true life, that aren't true light for us. But we thank you that there is no need to despair. There's no need for disappointment. We thank you that you've come into our world, that you've given us all that we could possibly need in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray so much that you would open our eyes, even in the midst of our suffering and struggles in life, to see him and to see in him all that we need. 
And we pray that be true for us individually. We pray it be true for our families this Christmas and for our whole church. And we pray that we would have the courage to declare and share with the whole world around us. Croydon, this city, all our families with whom we're connected and our friends that the Lord Jesus is the true light, not just for us, but for all mankind. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Bye.